You're listening to ATBS, the podcast. We drop weekly episodes for the curious and open-minded among us. Guests and topics cover the spectrum from peak performance to climate change, from epigenetics to nutritional mushrooms. ATBS stands for all things big and small, so the possibilities are infinite. I'm your host, Jeff Volmerick. This week's episode is titled 10 Seconds of Kindness, and you'll soon find out why. There are many ways you can support this independent podcast and a few land right in the 10 seconds of kindness wheelhouse. Pick an episode that's lit you up and text or email it to a friend. Take a minute or two to write a review or click on the patron link and support us that way. All of it matters and helps to spread the word about ATBS, the podcast. My guest today has worked hard, played even harder and loved the Wasatch Mountains of Utah for 45 years. He's the executive director of the Mountain Trails Foundation, a legend in these parts, and one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Charlie Sturgis joins me in the podship today. Enjoy. Hey, you guys, it's Sharpie. I'm the guest from episode number 20. I like to travel to the edge of the known universe and peer over the edge to see what's out there. It's sort of like digging below the surface tapping into the electromagnetic network of fungi and tree roots to try and figure out what they're talking about. Spread the word to anyone who you think may be interested in expanding their horizon and growing their universe. Thanks, guys. Tune in soon. Charlie, welcome to ATBS, the podcast. I'm so glad you made time. Thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. I was out walking on the trails and I thought, wow, Charlie Sturgis would be a really good episode. So I called, you know, yesterday, I think, and you said, what about tomorrow? And I love that answer. Well, you know, that's mostly because I have a really big back burner and uh, (laughs) it can get forgotten about really fast if you let me get away with it. So, so yeah, it was perfect to just chime right in here today. Yeah. I love that. You know, a lot of people live in, in parts of the world and are involved in things in their lives professionally where when did it become okay to say in some profession that, you know, I'm not available until three months from next Tuesday or some shit like that, which is, you might as well just say, I don't really want to talk to you. (laughs) So I love the, I love that. Yeah, let's do it tomorrow. That's the way I like it. I'm kind of, you can lose track of me. So (laughs) people will tell you that, yeah, Charlie just disappeared and left and went somewhere. So yeah, or he's better off uh, hit hitting while uh, the iron's hot. So yeah, right, right. Well, let's talk about how Charlie disappears because a little bit of background. I don't want to give it away, but we're both in Park City. I've been here since 1992, and I know you've been here quite a bit longer than that. How about a little background? Like, how'd you get here? Where'd you come from? What brought you to Park City? Okay, so if I go back pretty far, I'm born and raised in Chicago. Moved here in 1975. Part of the reason I moved here was that I skied at Snowbird, and I thought I was a pretty good skier, right, Jeff? We, you know, we always think we're good skiers and dancing around all these really good skiers. But it turned out I was at the top of Snowbird in a storm, and I was totally unprepared, totally unable to ski the, the terrain. And I was just like, this is really cool. So I basically checked out to you. And back in Chicago, I was living with a perfectly wonderful woman, getting straight A's, and I was just like, oh. I'll see you later. I'm out of here. And so I moved to Utah, 
went to the U and needless to say, skied and climbed and biked and so forth quite a bit. Although tennis was my main game when I moved. So I actually played on a small tennis team in at the Chicago College and whatnot. So then in Park City, I did graduate, or I mean, I'm sorry, in Salt Lake at the U, I did graduate, took a year or two. Like I said, there's a lot of skiing involved. Got involved in the ski business uh, in the Nordic side of it, the backcountry side, with Charlie Butler and Dwight Butler at Wasatch Touring, who were probably one of the great original backcountry shops, probably almost in the U.S., and learned a boatload from those guys. And at the same time, of course, I was learning more about skiing, backcountry skiing, ice climbing, climbing in general, biking, mountain biking. Uh, And mountain biking was just coming up, right? 1981 was the first commercially built mountain bike. I was involved when they decided to pick up uh, mountain biking is one of the things we were doing in the summertime. So with that, then all of a sudden there was an opportunity to move to or to have a job in Park City. So I worked for the original White Pine Touring, which was a seasonal business. They ran a Nordic Center and the opportunity to actually just... uh, Really, these guys who owned it just sort of fire sailed it. And then we went in year round in Park City. So we started in the summertime with mountain bikes. Tom Noker and, and New Park had been a bike shop that was being picked up by Jans at the time. So there was only two bike shops in town. We were one of them. And it was uh, kind of take off from there. And we had in the very beginning, you may not know this about me, Jeff, but you know we actually survived. We had a couple of good tests right off the bat. Uh, we got started in the bike business, but the first winter we had, we had no snow until almost January 15th. And the second winter, we had almost no snow in January, whatever, right? And I was running two Nordic centers at the time and had probably close to 50 employees. Wow. Yeah. So needless to say, and certainly I think my wife, Kathy, and I have always tried to make uh, employees be first and most important thing in our world. We were basically trying to keep everybody busy and working, and we weren't making squat as store owners, that's for sure. So, but since then, it's been a really good role. I mean, I fortunately, you know, if you jump all the way to 2020 at this point, I have over 40 years in the outdoors, be able to have made a living in the outdoors, especially in the really the, the non traditional outdoors, you know, so that that client that kind of human, uh, Sweat equity kind of activities, backcountry skiing, cross-country skiing, biking, climbing, has been really interesting and certainly has been filled with tons of really great people to know, great people to employ, and just a lot of really fun memories. Boy, I bet. I bet. When I first came to town, White Pine was at the base of Main Street, right there between Main Street and Heber Ave. Right. Yeah, we moved there in 93. Gotcha. Where were you before that? We opened, uh, and it was kind of a crazy how this happened. My wife, who is, can be very nosy in one sense, poked her head into a store, this is 1985, that was going to actually close. And they go, oh, well, yeah, we'd be happy to lease you the space. And so we were just opposite Chimayo, so about two-thirds of the way up Main Street, and it's now a cowboy boot kind of shop. I mean, we were living upstairs, literally you could walk through the kitchen and the bathroom to get to the inventory room. And we were definitely living in the business. It was truly fun and a little mind boggling at times. I mean, you sometimes you sit there and had to tell an employee, Hey, you know, uh, really your being up here is not good for my family life right now. So go back downstairs because we were open till nine o'clock at night. Right. You know, we were open nine to nine on main street. 
Yeah, and that was the first store. And then we moved down to the Hebrew Avenue location in 1993. Yeah, wow. You've been here for the better part, as you said, 40 years, 40 plus years, you know, at this point. And it amazes me that I've been here for 28. You know, I got here as a 28-year-old with a dog and a van and a windsurfer and a mountain bike. And and that was that was the show. But I think about this when I, you know, I'll be riding a lift or I'll bump into somebody and it seems over the past handful of years, you know, you get talking to somebody and they've been here two months or they it's their first winter or they've been here for two, but relatively new, fairly recent move to Park City. And in my own way, I like to say, hey, you know, welcome. And what a cool time in your life, because I remember when I just got here and how great I felt and how great it is to be here. And I still feel that way. And I think for them, like their eyes are wide open. They're like, this is unbelievable how nice it is here. You know what? I, I think share those same sentiments with you very much. So I am very proud of being a resident of Park City. And certainly I love to get people excited about what we are so privileged to do here. And that's certainly been part of, you know, White Pine, one of the things about White Pine that you may not know, but my, but this might jog your memory is there's very few retail shops out there that actually teach everything they sell. Right. So that was a big deal for us. You know, we taught tele skiing, we taught rock climbing, we taught you how to use your transceivers. We were teaching people how to survive in the, you know, summer and winter. And we used to do Thursday night rides. We'd have a hundred people show up for Thursday night rides to learn how to be better mountain bikers or, or just to get out and have more fun with, you know, other people. So I am endlessly happy to share that I have this new little slogan that if I was going to run for office in town, which I'm not going to do, it had been proposed at some point, but I think at my ripening age of 68, I'm going to pass on the opportunity. But now I sit there and look at what we're doing. And you know, a lot of people are very sort of anti-visitor. I'm not anti-visitor at all. I am anti-selling the town. So I don't believe we need to market the town anymore. And we should just let people who decide to show up organically show up and just continue on in that fashion. I'm quite honestly, I believe that's an appropriate recipe for the entire state myself, that we do not need to keep selling the state. You know, my wife worries about it. She goes, who are you going to go ski with? I, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to get on a lift and I'm going to go and... Yeah, I'm going to meet people, right? I'm going to <laughs> more than likely bump into somebody you know or, or somebody that you've never met and be able to go. To- right. Someone I'm happy to go, hey, come on, let's go. We'll go this way, you know? And so, anyhow, uh, I love to be able to say, welcome. And God, I hope you have a great time. And, you know, I'm only sometimes tempted to go, hey, you know, uh, here's my number. Call me if you can't figure it out. And every once in a while, I do do that. You know, if there's something a little more complicated. Yeah. We live in a spectacular spot. I really have no interest in leaving it. I feel the same way. I've said for years that, you know, I showed up here sight unseen. I'd never been to Park City. I got the job starting the ski jumping programs and and with an opportunity to try and, you know, start a youth athletic program at, at what, you know, is now the Utah Olympic Park. And I have found no compelling reason to go anywhere else. What a wonderful spot. And I do want to say what a fine job you did. Thank you. I appreciate that. We all have these experiences in life and and there are times when, you know, when I showed up here at 28 years old and had my ponytail and had my dog and had an opportunity with John Bauer and 
couple other really wonderful people out at the Utah Olympic Park to give it a go and see if we could get some kids off some ski jumps. There were some really spectacular, there still are, really spectacular people in town who just adopted what we were doing, right? The guys at Jan's, both Jan Peterson and Russ Coburn, you know, couldn't have been more supportive. And then the town really embraced the whole, the newness of the park and what was available. And I've shared this with a couple of people that something that I'm pretty sure hadn't really been done before was we started public ski jumping, number one, which was one of my ideas. I was like, we got to show it to more people, let people experience it. And then number two was the Tuesday night town jump series where it was like beer league ski jumping. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it was hysterical, right? Like just don't drink too much before you get here. Local bars and and businesses, you know, supported it and supported teams. And oh my gosh, it was so much fun. So thank you for the positive comment there. It was a blast. I I loved it. Well, we did get the opportunity to perform a lot of silliness in those days. Right, exactly. And, And hopefully, I guess kind of going back to you know, what can we share with newer residents? One is a big welcome. And I love the fact that, you know, periodically you're willing to, you know, say, hey, look, if you can't figure it out, let me know. Give me a call. And let's not take ourselves too seriously. You know, there are really important issues surrounding town and surrounding a growth and, and all those things. But as human beings, let's not get too uptight about one thing or the next, right? A kind word, you know, a smile, a little patience out on the roads and out on the trails. My gosh, it goes it goes such a long way. It goes back to an old saying that you and I and probably most of your listeners are familiar with, right? Is that when you're living with the Indians, do as the Indians do. And when people moved here, they had a hard time sort of maybe leaving a little bit of that LA baggage behind, right? Or that New Yorker who wants to honk on their horn because that's what you that's what you do in New York and Chicago and whatnot, right? And here the beauty of Park City at times is you can drive around town all day long and probably never hear a horn, right? Right. And so I think that yes, you're right. I mean, we had a very laid back, not probably unlike a lot of Western towns. One of the things that always been outstanding, I think, about the entire Intermountain area is people are always super friendly and super helpful. And I think we have that in this town as well. And, you know, you can come here as a complete stranger and people will point you in the right direction. And before you know it, you're going to have friends that live here. And I think the town culture is very, very much, for the most part, geared towards having fun, being accepting. And certainly, uh, I think most of us feel a significant amount of gratitude for being able to be here. Yeah. I agree with you that I've said for years, and I, I kind of started to allude to it. One of the things I, I wanted to do is when we first started getting roundabouts, it takes a little while to get used to them if you haven't driven in them. And I lived in Old Town for the first 13, 14 years. I lived in Park City and then 15 years out off of Old Ranch Road, kind of I moved to the suburbs, quote unquote, kicking and screaming. And now I'm back in town and I think about you know, when people do get a little uptight on the roads and stuff. And I, and I think to myself, look, I'll see you at the next stoplight or I'll see you at the grocery store or maybe at the gas station. And it's one of the very cool things about a small town. I've thought about getting in touch with Randy or somebody at the radio station and saying, hey, let's have like a welcome new residence 15 or 30 minute show periodically. And part of it is, you know, look, you don't have to go very fast because there isn't very far to go. 
And so it's not going to make much different out on the roads. I think the same could probably be said out on the trails. And we'll probably see at the next stoplight. And then also the other thing I started thinking about was all the work that's been done, tireless work by people like yourself, like Cheryl Fox, like Wendy Fisher, uh, you know, open space and trails and people who have worked for years and in some cases decades to help us to be where we are as a community with open space and access and trails and not have a big development up over Old Town and so on and so forth. And I was standing with some people that were fairly new in town, people that actually went to the same college as myself, and they rented a place for a year. And I saw them a couple months ago and we were standing up on like Mellow Mountain Road up off of Deer Valley. And we were looking back across over town and I was sharing with them from where I stood, you could see all these chunks of open space. And I said, you know, they were talking about how crowded the trails can be or something or whatever. And I said, you know, there's so many places and so much work's been done by so many really passionate, great people over the years. And I started to educate them, you know, just share with them what, what I know or what I think I know, what I'm familiar with anyway. And they were so grateful to be aware of, oh, wow, like we didn't just get here and we're the first people to arrive. Lots has been going on for decades to help make this be spectacular as it is. And as you watch other communities, like, you know, I was just down in uh, Wasatch County, down in Heber yesterday, uh, riding a bike. You would think it was almost too cold, but wonderful Western sun. But didn't really see anybody. And and there's a town that is, you know, following in our footsteps and they're coming along at a greater speed because it's a template for that success program that Park City pretty much has laid out for people. And certainly that we are happy to share with people the number of people that call and ask about open space trails and how did you get it all done? And one of the things we tell them is, you know, and this is still true today, Jeff, you might be amazed at this, but when we look at starting a trail from the start to the finish, probably at least the length of time that that trail will take is three years. Mm -hmm. Wow. Just between planning, permission, doing the job, surveying it, whatever, right? I mean, even if you think it's a no-brainer, and which when I first started with the mountain trails, I was thinking, oh, come on, I can't take that long. Literally, it's amazing how things bog down, but also, you know, like, Moving a big object, if you push slowly to start and eventually get it going a little bit, then you can start pushing harder and harder and you can go faster and faster. And certainly, I think that's what we did in the Park City area. We went from really a lot of what we were doing was trespassing and we were certainly on private lands and we had a few miles of old mining trails and stuff like that. And and the next thing you know, we're uh, fired up. And now, you know, if you look at the west side of the county, we don't really even know for sure, but 400 plus miles of trails. Right. Hard to measure them now at this point, right? Yeah. And if you go outside just a little bit, you know, which you're probably familiar with, you know, the Bench Creeks and uh, Little South Forks and, you know, all these areas that I would say were well worth traveling to that are 45 minutes from town, which seems like a big deal if you live here because we only go from one light to the next right but if you look come from anywhere else that's not traveling much at all we have you know probably another 500 to a thousand miles of trails out there amazing right you know it's easy to think well maybe the trails are a little bit crowded 
you know, whatever, busy time of the year, busy weekend, something like that. And I've always said to people, look, it does, you, don't, you don't have to go very far to find practically no one. Right? Like take a walk a little further, ride a little further, get in your car and drive a little further. And oh, if you jump over that first barrier, wow, there's so fewer people. You just have to want that. You know, I'm not a very much of a person avoider. Right. I have lots of friends that go, oh, that place will be too crowded. I'm, I'm kind of on the, you know, I'm kind of drawn to it a little bit. So when I look at a trail that's going to be crowded and if I really don't feel like it, then I just make a better choice. Right. Make, make a choice for when it's not crowded. But the thing I always find the beauty of running into people on the trails is they're there for the same reason you are. Right. Right. At least 99% of the time, you know, they're basically there to have fun, to chill out, to experience the, the great outdoors in whatever fashion they might. Whether they're brand new to it, have been doing it for a million years, doesn't have anything to do with it. We're all there for the same core values, which is to basically just sit there and enjoy Mother Nature. So if you keep that in mind, we're all kind of, you know, we're, we're all in the same family, right? We're all in the same boat. So uh, we really should enjoy the other people that are out there. And admittedly, some days, you know, you get on Pinecone and you can't ride down Pinecone on a Saturday, right? So there is that. But then you just you make better choices, right? It's, you know, it's no bad weather, just bad clothing choices, right? Exactly right. <laughs> so uh, anyhow, yeah. So uh, to, to those who think they things are too crowded, usually I go, well, you're not you're not moving around enough. You're not going out. You should go look around more. Yeah. Right. Explore a bit. Yeah. Go get, go find some th- new things because they're, they're out there and they're really cool. And I think that applies in life, right? Like in a broader sense as well, right? Like if you're too narrow, narrowly focused or, you know, too myopic, well, life's going to be a little dull. Yeah. Or you've seen the people that ski the same slope 10 times in the back country and they always go to the same slope. I can't tell you how much powder I've given up just to look around the next corner and go ski something really shitty. Right. So, and then, yeah. and, and been, and been perfectly happy with it. So, you know, I go, wow, that's cool. It was new. You know, I, was, I hadn't been here before. To those who think we're a little crowded, yes, we are. Actually, you know, we think the user count, if this is crazy, the trail user count in the summertime alone, so just mid-October, right? is in the area of 2 million user days, visitors alone, visitors, not even, not even local. Wow. So yeah, we, we got a lot going on. There's no question. Yeah. A lot, a lot going on. Well, I think that's a great segue. Of course, in the introduction, you know, Charlie, executive director of Mountain Trails Foundation, which is just this incredible organization that it works tirelessly to putting developments together. As you said, it can take up to three years or more um, to put these things together and, you know, a big thank you from me and I think anybody, everybody else in the community. I know you're one of the guys who's, who passes it off to everybody else. Great, great work. And we all, we all benefit so well. Our health and wellness of our mind, body, and spirit are, are well served by the trails available here. Thank you for saying so. And I do pass it off a little bit. One of the things I like to pass it off to a lot is that we have incredible local support. And obviously we have a incredibly enthusiastic outdoor community here, but they're incredibly generous. I mean, even in these tough pandemic times, we were seeing donations from places we'd never seen them before. And that's great. People were just thankful to be able to have access, have really unrestricted access. Right. Not something you find everywhere. Yeah. 
It is astounding, right? So thank you. And you know, we went back to the early days. You know, you got here, all of these outdoor kind of human powered sports and and teaching everybody. And, you know, in the 40 plus years, your games remain the same. You're passionate about doing things yourself and you're passionate about sharing them with others. I would say that's a pretty good description. I have not lost the love of most any of it. I still do it all. I'm still rock climbing hard. And actually, I'm currently at 68 rock climbing as hard as I probably ever have. Wow. Good for you. My goals are still a little bit out of reach. Actually focusing on it and trying to get out in the pandemic has been, it made things a little bit more complicated. Yeah, I still love the backcountry ski and I still bike and, you know, I'm blessed on two fronts. I'm blessed that I live here and I'm blessed that I have the health to do it. And probably somewhat amazed that I haven't whacked myself so hard somewhere along the line that it put an end to it. So mm. uh, it's been close, right? So it's a- Yeah, I bet. Yeah, for, for most of us, but you probably more than most. But, you know, there's also the use it or lose it mentality, right? You keep on rock climbing. Well, then you just keep on rock climbing. It's what you do. Yeah, yeah. Right? If you stop, that's going to get pretty tough, right? It gets a lot harder. When my old injuries are haunting me, it's probably because I haven't been doing something. You know, if I just keep moving along, it's way better. Well, and we learn to do the other things, you know, whether it be yoga or stretching or eating well, taking care of ourselves so that we can continue to play hard, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The big part is, as you know, is show up. Yeah. You don't have to go hard all the time. You just got to show up though. Yeah. That's so good. We talked a little bit before we turned on the microphones about trail etiquette equals life etiquette. Trails are heavily used. Trails are multi-use. I was walking with a friend of mine the other day and we were talking when I, for, I was like, oh, Charlie, it'd be a great conversation. And the phrase that she came up with was trail usage, multi-user reality of trails, whether it be horseback riding or mountain biking or walking your dogs or skiing. She said, you know, it reminded her of the yogic tradition uh, and idea of unity through diversity. I think about the trails and I think about it that way. And then I think about the world that we're living in. I know you've got some little nuggets that, you know, just make sense out on the trail. And I think they translate into, you know, our interactions with others in the world as well. I would absolutely agree with you. And I think, you know, the one that I'm proudest of is 10 seconds of kindness. And it, and like you said, it does really apply to the world, right? Slow down, smile, be safe. That's all it takes. And I don't know if you know this, uh, Jeff, about me uh, or about the, that particular, the signage you see out there. But I went to the uh, commercial arts class at the junior high to have them do it. Nice. So if you look low on the sign, you'll see, I think it was Brianna, somebody that we picked her artwork for the signs and that in and of itself too. I mean, we actually, I probably did about six trips to the schools for basically coming up with a slogan for the winter, you know, the, what was it? The round Valley roundup. Right. And, and some different things and got the kids involved and had, you know, 40 different examples of signs and really let the teachers pick them and go here. What do you think the best three are? And so yeah, that's the sign you see out there is just that and of all the signs we've done even you know with our most current one when all else fails we still got trails which is another charlieism it's slow down smile be safe and you can take that to almost any place in the world 
and any situation and probably go, oh, okay, yeah, that works. Yeah. You know, and here we are all with masks on as we get out and move around. I have found it really interesting because prior to masks, somebody smiles openly and, and is open to an open welcome or an open smile. Oh my gosh, it just puts you right at ease and there's positive energy there, right? Which is attractive, that law of attraction. And boy, does it make a difference in the world. Now with masks on, I find it interesting because you have to look people in the eye. And lots of people don't. Well, right. It's hard for it's hard to look into somebody's eyes. I'm sure that you must be just dying with this whole mask and no hug, no handshake. Holy smokes. You know, it's killing me. And, you know, I've been on the verge of writing a, a letter to the editor going, hey, just because we have mask on doesn't mean we can't be nice to each other and be human beings and show that we care and you know, when I look at your eyes, I know you're smiling or not, you know, so right. it's a dilemma. Sometimes I'd sit there and go, wow, I, I hope the pandemic doesn't win out on this one because I'm going to be extremely disappointed between the mask and Zoom, right? <laughs> we don't, right? It's like, we don't really get to see each other. So it's like, wow, who'd have thought that was, you know, and I'm like you are in that, I'm a very gregarious, I love people, and I just like running into people. I find nice people everywhere I go. So it is bizarre to me to to see the mask thing and not really see people's emotions or, you know, on their face. And it's, yeah, and uh, not to be able to hug, shake a hand and, and, uh, you know, give a buddy a hug or whatever, man. It's like, wow, I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. It's been a long haul and we got a little ways to go. You got a little ways to go. Yeah. And, it, and no matter where you fall, opinion wise, regarding vaccines or or anything else, right? We've got a little ways to go and it's winter time. And again, back to here where we are, we get to be outdoors and wow, are we blessed for that. But slow down, smile, be safe. You know that, okay, let's slow down, be smart, be safe, smile through these next six months. Not that six months from now, everything's going to be hunky-dory, but it sure does feel like there's some light at the end of the tunnel, COVID-wise. We can only hope. And certainly it's come faster than, uh, you know, in terms of the vaccines and stuff like that. It's come faster than probably any previous time, right? I did an episode with my buddy who's a molecular biologist the other day. The previous fastest vaccine, it was five years. Yeah, so... So some things, you know, no matter where we stand politically or, or on which side of things we stand, some things are happening very well. The other thing that was said in that episode is that everybody's made mistakes. Without getting political, I, I'm going to give the executive branch a little bit of credit for Operation Warp Speed. Agreed. Big thumbs up for that. And as my friend Richard said, hey, there's one way to do it, and that's open the checkbook. Right. And we did. Right. That's one of the reasons the the vaccines are going to be and should be free because we've already paid for them with our tax dollars. But it takes somebody to say, hey, run this thing out there. Let's let's get this thing rolling. Right. Like, let's make this happen. Yeah. He kind of took that no excuses mentality, which I do think we find in our lives. And certainly I find it in. uh, Yeah, I have a couple little nuggets. One of them is for meetings is that, hey, if everybody in the room thinks this is a good idea, then let's just do it. Right. Let's not talk about the attorneys. Let's not talk about five ways it ain't going to happen. Let's just talk about how it's going to get done. 
And I think there was a lot of that in that particular thing. And otherwise, you know, I'm probably couldn't give the executive branch a lot of credit otherwise for anything else. But anyways, they, I think did at least take that approach a little bit. It goes, wow, this is super freaking important. We've got to get it done. Right. Give credit where credit is due, right? Like that's, that's a good thing to do. A couple things, and this has been a, an interesting common theme or thread through many of my episodes. Like we all learned, you know, when we were younger, we were imprinted, you know, by our parents and by our families. And I read an article in preparation for this conversation. And you're like, you know, I was 45 years old and running the business and and something came out of your mouth. And you're like, where in the world did that come from? And then you realized it was something that your father used to say. And we carry these things forward. And that one, do you remember what that one was? I'm trying to think about what it was, but you know, I can tell you one thing for sure. Somewhere in my 40s, I wrote my father a Christmas card and said, you have no idea how many times I tell people things that you told me that I told you you were all wrong about. (laughs) (laughs) You've gotten so smart in your old age, Dad. Yeah, yeah. It was... uh, just little nuggets that just would jump out and, you know, uh, we work hard, play hard. Come. I wrote that one down. I mean, that, that is a, it's a great life motto. My one main mantra in life these days is maximize potential and minimize the damage. That's what you got control of. If you really think about it, you know, when shit's hitting the fan, well, okay, I can't turn off the fan maybe, but maybe I can stop feeding the shit in. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, or maybe I could turn off the fan cause I can't get rid of the shit. So you have to just look at what you can do. Right. And not only so much as what you can do, but also how can you make something bad less worse? That was a saying of mine that really came out of dealing with employees. Yeah, it was like, wow, I got this guy. This guy's in the wrong place. Right. You didn't want to get rid of an employee in town, right? Because you know, if you had actually a reasonable, warm body, he was relatively smart, he or she was relatively smart, you didn't want to get rid of them. But sometimes it's like, wow, that person really doesn't like people. Maybe he shouldn't be a salesperson. And you put them down in the shop or something, right? And so that was a little bit of where that came from. But my father was a very common sense guy. He was a really smart guy. And he actually didn't get his high school degree until he was like 78. Wow. What did he do during his life? He basically was a banker post-World War II, but he survived four years in Europe as a tank commander, came back and just started as a, if you can imagine, he started as a page boy in a bank. He actually had a master's in uh, hospital administration, but he didn't have a high school degree. He wanted his high school degree before he died, and he was really hell-bent on it. You know, basically the war had prevented him from getting his high school degree at the time. He was enlisted before he finished high school. Yeah, before he finished high school. So he was a very, very, very practical guy in that respect and had really super common sense kind of guy. Seemed like that generation, there was a lot of that. Like my grandfather, you know, he was just a super down to earth practical, you know, lived through the depression, you know, traveled around the Midwest selling parts to farmers, right? And, but super practical, pretty much no nonsense. Hopefully we've all got somebody like that in our lives or or people like that, that we can hearken back to. And we've brought some of that forward into the world in which we live today. Yeah. You know, even Kathy's father, who was a construction guy, but would fix everything, right? No matter what. And he thought when he first met me, he thought, oh my God, my daughter is bringing home this long haired hippie, right? And this back in Ohio. And 
and he was running around and he, he basically didn't get the garage door open all the way and he basically hit it and knocked it off the runners and blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and he's, when he first looked at me, he was like, well, this guy's going to be no use whatsoever. And the reason we really bonded in the long run is I was able to help him get the door back on because basically what the stuff I had learned from my father and combined with his willingness to fix anything and everything. Yeah, we just basically got the door back on and continued on. And he was like, okay, now it's time for a scotch. <laughs> I like this guy. He just looked at me and go, this, guy, this dude is going to be no help. Right. Well, that there, therein lies, don't judge the book by the cover. Yeah, exactly. Right. Open it up and, and give it a read and, and see how it rolls. I love that. What I would love to do is I'd love to have you join me over on some things big and small for a little patron atbs the podcast patron only conversation usually those are about five minutes but we put some uh, exclusive content over there for for my patrons who who pay to to listen to the podcast if you'll join me over there i'd, I'd love it what i'd love to say right now is what a treat to catch up talk to you hear the background your thoughts on where we are today in this beautiful town and how so much of it applies to the world. I, I just can't thank you enough. I've, I've thought the world of you since way back when, when I rolled into town. Oh, you're, you're making me blush, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan, Charlie. You got, you've got a huge fan base as a human being, right? And it doesn't happen by accident. And around this town, and again, I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but yeah, you mentioned Charlie Sturgis and, and very rarely is somebody going to be like, oh, that guy, what an ass, right? Like, no. I have to tell you a story, though, that goes with that real quick, right? So back in the very beginning of being at White Pine in, in Park City, we, you know, we ran these Monday night uh, time trials. At the last race of the year, we'd go run it someplace. So we ran it to the little bar down in Hailstone Junction. Remember that? That's underneath the water in the reservoir now. It was gone by the time I got here. Okay. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. The reservoir was filling when I arrived. But I was there having a beer and we had this whole race and I turned and look and right there on the wall was Charlie Sturgis is an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even in the bathroom. It was right out there in, in public. Huh? No, it was right on the wall. I was just, okay. So not everybody's happy. Not everybody. <laughs> So anyhow, there's there's at least one person out there that didn't that's like it. classic. That's I love that. And it was some rough times at the beginning because we had, like I said, we had no snow. We had 50 employees, and you know we were trying to do everything to make stuff work for everybody. But man, it was a tough couple of first seasons up here in Park City. You know, I saw like a park record thing pop up that oh, you know, on top of the COVID, it's a dry start to the winter. We live in a world where the weather matters, and and it makes a difference, right? You know, I described town once to somebody at the chamber or city council that we were nothing more than high-tech farmers. And they're like, what do you mean by that? I go, we're so weather-reliant. I mean, if it doesn't snow, the skiers don't come. If it doesn't stop raining, we don't get you know bikers out on the trails. We basically live and die by weather. It's just that we don't, we don't go out and plow a field. And we also are a farming community in that respect, in that I thought we should have been a more diversified economy a lot further back than we are now. If I'm not doing well, you're probably not doing well. You might be doing better than I am, maybe because you're a dentist or something, blah, 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 blah. But if I'm not getting paid, then I'm not showing up to your place either, right? And there's that whole thing that we're all in it together. We've lost the seasonality for any number of reasons. 
at this point in 2020, but we still are. And this dry season is part of it. And look at what happened this summer, uh, which is pro and con, right? We were totally dry. We had the driest summer and the hottest summer in the history. And I might almost say the smokiest as well. Yet with the dryness, we had more people show up, which was a, you know, interesting dilemma. And quite honestly, with the snow thing, you know, if we can get snow on the ground, Ski Utah a couple of years ago said that a bad snow year only dropped the skier days by like 5%, something like that. It wasn't significant. So we've kind of come beyond that farmer mentality thing or farmer, you know, farmer town uh, kind of thing. But we are, we do live and die by the weather. Well, in a bad snow year in Park City is better than most snow years, most places. True. And I'll give you one other little nugget then to go with that is when you are in the mountains, you do as the mountains dictate. Yeah, right. You know, so right now my bike's been really good. This is the latest I've ever had my bike out. And I have, like I said, I've still been climbing. I've been, albeit some cold climbing, but, but the biking's, a cold day of biking is a warm day of skiing. Yeah, right. I mean, I was out in Round Valley and I, and I was hiking because I'm still, I was just walking because I'm still getting over this pneumonia thing. But I was like, my gosh, like this is perfect mountain biking conditions, right? Hard trails, no dust. Let it rip, right? Yeah, cool. You barely break a sweat. Right. <laughs> so it's been incredible. I've been like riding in my ski socks and shorts and, uh, and a jacket. And it's like, wow, this is really pretty damn good fun. Yeah, right. There's always something. There's always something here. Yep. And I couldn't agree with you more. You told me the, we don't need to continue to sell the town or the state. Plenty of people know about the place and, and know what's here. And I'm just going to pick your brain. He put you on the spot a little bit. Like if somebody's been in town for like, this is, let's say they're coming up on their first winter. Like they've just gotten here. What's your spiel? What, what would you say to somebody who's like, Hey, Charlie, you know, talk to me about park city. What do I need to know? What would my spiel be for park city? I would probably say that we have a different set of priorities here. We basically start somewhere in the fun section, move to the family section and eventually get to work. And Lord knows, Zooming and quarantine has not, you look at all the people that are out, kids and everything, fam, whole families skiing when uh, the quarantine started, you know, and our priorities are different than elsewhere. And if people think that their priorities from where they came from are going to be a good match, they probably should just rethink the way we do it here. Yeah. Yeah. Be open to that. I love it. That's perfect, Charlie. Um, nothing I can add to that. I will say um, before I say thanks that we are going to jump over to some things big and small. So uh, if you'd like to listen to ATBS, the podcast, ad-free, exclusive content, you can become a patron and you can do that at atbsthepodcast.com. ATBS. I want you to know this, Jeff. I've never listened to a podcast. You know, you're not the first person I've talked to this week that said that. Russ Coburn said the same damn thing. He said, Jeff, what is a podcast within the past seven days? And I was like, well, let me tell you what a podcast is. But ATBS, the podcast, and the acronym is for all things big and small, Charlie. Like, I'm not afraid to talk about pretty much anything. And I should share with you, you know, I never sent an email, owned a computer or an iPhone until I was 58. I love that. I love that. So I thought I was going to go to my grave, never having sent an email. And then I took the mountain trails job and that was, that was the end of that. Yeah, that was the end of that. But it, you know, somebody once commented on my desk at work 
they were looking to plug something in to charge it and they yell down, they go, you don't have a plug up here at your desk. And I go, you see anything that needs to be plugged in? <laughs> I love that. Charlie, many of us can just aspire to that, right? Like so many people have so many freaking devices and so many ways to stay in touch and, and are in many ways not in touch. You know, get out on a trail, get outside, smile, slow down, smile, be safe, enjoy the ride. I want you to know that when I do retire from my mountain trails job, I will be executing my computer. Nice. I love it. I love it. Anyhow, it's been a, it's it's been a pleasure, Jeff, and I, and I will try to catch up on the your uh, on the podcast on the other side here. I'll help make it easy. And there are thirty episodes. I'll point you towards you know one or two that I think are are not to be missed. I actually had an idea. It would be so cool if I just went mobile and set up at the top of like sunny slopes up in Park Meadows at the beginning of the trails into round valley and you know the sun's out and have the microphones out like that would be the perfect place to have a conversation with you charlie <laughs> like, I, it, it would be but you know your uh technical guy would hate you because the background noise would be extensive exactly right Charlie. why why it would be like what are you doing jeff you're out there the wind is blowing i'm like screw it it's charlie bikes are going by dogs are barking right. <laughs> so perfect well anytime you anytime you want to do that you just let me know Thanks for listening to 10 Seconds of Kindness with Charlie Sturgis. This podcast is produced by me and Wyatt Schmidt. Original artwork and music also by Wyatt Schmidt. ATBS is greatly influenced by you, our listener. Your comments and feedback on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube help us to improve the podcast and guide us into the future. Your few moments of kindness goes a long way, and I thank you very much. We'll see you here next time. 